Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, folks. Welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, this is John Russin, and I'm back with Pastor Frank Friedman, and we are continuing our series on journeys and stories, some deeper looks into the lives of each other, into the lives of Christians, experiences and the circumstances that drew them to Christ as Savior and to Christ as life. Last week, we began with Pastor Frank, and when we last left our hero, he had been telling us about uh, how he had been raised in the desert of Southern California, his, his skills as an athlete, his family struggles, and his coming to faith uh, as a young man. He had gone to cemetery, excuse me, seminary, and then had uh, eventually taken a church, a small church in Southern Delaware. And that's where we're going to pick this up today. Frank, did I miss any important background points before we begin? <laughs> That's a great summary. <laughs> okay, then let's begin with another question. Here you are, you're married, you've got a couple of kids, you're pastoring a, a growing church in a rural community, and suddenly you realize that there's more. Christ's life is on the horizon. You don't know it yet, but it's coming. Tell us about how you saw Jesus's life, the circumstances, and what happened when you began to understand that. That's a, that's a loaded question. Yes, and a um, long one, too. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, faith is born out of need. And from faith, which connects us to God, comes revelation. And largely, John, what I had done growing up in the environment that I did is I built a huge wall around my heart. Um, nobody likes to, to hurt. And so growing up in the environment I did, uh, the way a little kid survives is to stuff things really, really deep. And so on the outside was this persona of strength and uh, tenacity and uh, capability maybe, uh, but on the inside was a little tiny kid who had a lot of fear and a lot of wound. And basically what happened, I think, as best as I can describe it, is about 18, 1988, 1989, in that time period, um, through some circumstances of life, I couldn't hold the lid on all of that anymore. Uh, 
and it, I guess I would say I got triggered and it started to come out. And so I had all these emotions, negative emotions that I had tried to keep hidden all those years and I couldn't put the lid back on. And I didn't know where to go, where to turn. Uh, I didn't feel uh, secure uh, telling other people uh, because of that false persona uh, that I had it all together. And so who do you go to? So um, I basically, and oh, I, uh, one night I took a, a gun and I put it to my head and I said, God, do you see me? I said, uh, you've got to do something. And I put it away and it got worse. Uh, didn't know what to do with all that pain. Uh, so about three, four months later, I took that gun out again and I pulled it until it clicked. And I basically said, God, you better see me. Um, if you don't heal me or kill me, I'm going to help you because I can't live like this anymore. And then I put it away again. Uh, the next morning, I had to pick up something for the church in a local Christian bookstore. And when I walked in, I would always look at the clearance rack. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and uh, there on the clearance rack was a book that just instantly caught my attention because of the title. And it said, help, Lord, my whole life hurts. And there was an ace bandage on the cover. And I looked at it and I went, oh my goodness, that's me. And it was 99 cents, which I really liked. Of course, <laughs> so, because as we all know, thriftiness is a gift of the spirit. That's right. So I bought the book and brought it home and uh, just devoured it in a, two days. Every chapter was on loss. Uh, the loss of God's presence, the loss of financial security, the loss of a loved one, uh, the loss of reputation. And as I read, it was just like, oh my gosh, this person, you know, lives in my bedroom, lives in my study, drives with me in the car. Uh, and what got me was the final chapter. And it was titled The Reason for It All. And it didn't offer a way out of the pain, uh, what it offered is a way through the pain by finding God in a way that I'd never known him before. So I closed the book and said, okay, Lord, I won't do that, what I was planning. I will go on the journey if you'll teach me. About six months later, a mutual friend who uh, somehow through Charles Stanley uh, called me up and he said, there's a conference in Virginia and you need to go to it. It was a one day pastor's conference. So I brought Janet with me because, uh, you know, I was kind of uh, murdering her as I was dying off the vine. So I figured it was a good idea to bring her. And in the middle of the conference, she began to cry. And I looked over at her and I'll never forget this. I said, what's the matter? And she said, don't you hear what they're teaching? And I said, I teach this. And she said, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> 
And uh, we went up afterwards and she was just in awe and told this teacher, this is incredible. It's the best thing I've ever heard. And, and he looks at her and says, isn't this, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I know this. And for about six months after that, she walked in just the most incredible freedom. Uh, the problem was she was free of me. So I sat her down and I said, you don't love me anymore. And she said, no, you have it wrong. I, I love you more than I've ever loved you. I don't need you the way I needed you. Uh, that was very unhealthy. And I just looked at her and said, well, could you put that in my back? So, <laughs> so I called that guy up and I said, man, whatever you did to her, you got to do to me. And so I went back for one-on-one -on -one time and uh, through videos and some sermons that were recorded and through some uh, teaching by a man named Bill Gillum, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes that uh, he loved me for free. And uh, he opened my eyes that I had been crucified with Jesus. I had taught that, John, but I had taught it as positional truth. Uh, you can't read the Bible and not teach that we've been crucified with Christ. But I taught it as positional, something the way God saw, but was not real. And that's where the revelation took place, that I was actually in Christ, had really been crucified, really been buried, really been resurrected, brand new. And it wasn't that just that he saw me as new. I was new. And all of the years of self-hatred that nobody else knew was there uh, was taken away. And then all of the shame was taken away. And uh, interesting, I, I began to teach right away this new revelation to me, it wasn't new revelation, it's the gospel, it's always been there, but it was new to me. But I didn't experience it uh, until I went to an internship. And that's really kind of a funny story. There was a, each of the teachers at this internship would introduce themselves and their background. And I was sitting there listening to them and I'm going to get a mentor. And I'm like, well, that guy's strong. He could be my mentor. And that guy's a real theologian. He could be my mentor. And then this one guy got up and he said, hi, my name's Beaver. <laughs> and I instantly just went, oh God, don't give me Beaver. And uh, he went on to say, my real name's King, but my nickname is Beaver. So if you put them together, I'm King Beaver. And I just really love Jesus. And I'm like, oh, Lord, don't give me beaver. Well, yeah, I got beaver. <laughs> God does have a sense of humor sometimes, doesn't he? And uh, so the director of this internship told me, this is your one shot. Throw it all on the table. Be gut level honest. Be vulnerable. And so I went into my first meeting with beaver and he said, well, uh, nice to meet you. And I said, well, the director of this thing said, I need to be honest. So I prayed to have anybody but you. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, this is a great way to start a relationship. <laughs> and it went forward from there. And it was interesting as I grew more confident of his acceptance, I would share more and more that I swore I'd never tell anybody. 
And as I did, he wouldn't reject me. So I started to purposely share things that I swore I'd never tell anybody to try to make him reject me. And he wouldn't reject me. And finally, he said some magic words to me. He said, Frank, in Christ, there is no such thing as a shameful person. He said, in the past, there may have been shameful behaviors or shameful things done to you. But in Christ, there is no such thing as a shameful person. And all of those shameful things have either been taken away from you if they were caused by you or the Holy Spirit stands ready to heal them if you will let him. And that is probably the pivotal moment where the new covenant went from doctrine, uh, a concept, to a reality that I was a resurrected, righteous, supernatural living man. So that's kind of the story. <laughs> wow, that is a, that's a very touching, very powerful answer. And for our listeners, I was in the body of the local church, both interestingly, in Delaware, when Frank first became aware of his identity as a child of God and cry, having Christ as his life, and also as an elder in the body that sent him on this internship. And I can say from my perspective that the man I knew before was nowhere to be seen any longer. There was an oozing of Jesus, if I can use that word, an oozing of Jesus that was absolutely palpable. And I think you said something, my friend, that pretty much hit the nail on the head. When you sat there and you basically told God, either heal me, heal me or kill me. And then you picked up that book and the focus was, God was going to take you through it, not going to take you out of it. Now, readers, please understand that it's okay to ask God to take you out. Jesus asked God to take him out. If there's any other way, Lord, let's see what's behind door number two. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, and this is where the key comes in for, for Jesus, for Frank, for me, for all of us. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so often that takes us through the valley of the shadow of death to be delivered and freed on the other side. Mm -hmm. Powerful, my friend, really powerful. So you're continuing now. You're in the pulpit. Uh, your message has changed. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got an elder board who largely doesn't really understand uh, the crucified Frank and where his messages are coming from. You've got a wife, you've got kids, you've got an entire life that now has to respond 
to this new understanding you have? What sort of watershed moments, significant milestones, events uh, between you and your wife, Janet, you and the kids, you and your church, just what were some initial impacts that you mm. saw in your ministry and your life? Mm. It's a loaded question as well. Uh, I could think of so many directions to go. You know, naturally, um, I think that this reality of Jesus is to be experienced as an individual. That's the first step to actually experience the love, grace, mercy, and acceptance of God. And that's kind of a, a wow moment. And then the universal law is you can only give what you have. So now you start to give that same acceptance, love, mercy, grace to others. And so you start to become a safe human being. Um, I had a woman come up to me in Delaware. This pops into my brain. About a, after, about a year after uh, God had opened my eyes, she came to me and she said, I'm coming to see the new you. I need help in my life. I never would have come to the old you. Wow. That's huge. Um, hopefully, of course, I, I, that started to find its way into the marriage and then into the kids. Um, giving the ministry of acceptance that, that their identity was not dependent on their behavior. So, you know, where you might look at a child who steals and say you're a thief or a child who lies and you say you're a liar. Now you say, excuse me, you're a child of God. Why did you lie? You know, it's a it's an affirmation of who they are in the midst of what they maybe shouldn't have done. So that ministry began to happen. Um, unfortunately, the body of Christ is so steeped in what you and I would call Galatianism, you know, the mixture of law and grace, uh, not knowing who they are. So they're performing to become something. Um, a lot of people didn't understand. I had, I had one guy come up to me and he said, did you just get saved? <laughs> and you know, the, the answer is no, I just found out how saved I was. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, but then we, we began to teach. And uh, of course, it's funny, John, but if people are going to get their identity out of performance, when you teach grace, it undermines their performance, yes. uh, which is what they're trusting in. So what happens is they get either angry or fearful. And that's what I began to experience in the body of Christ. Um, they couldn't receive this message. It was too good to be true. And I'd try to tell them, well, that's why it's called good news. <laughs> um, but I had elders questioning me, are you ever gonna teach on obedience? Do you believe in obedience? And, and I would try to tell them, you know, the Greek word in itself is, doesn't imply conformity. The Greek word is hupakuo, it means to listen under. And so obedience is really listening under the truth of God's word as the Holy Spirit 
knits it to your mind. It's obedience is about relationship. It's about love. And, but, you know, it's just such a totally different grid. Uh, people couldn't get it. Uh, fortunately, there was one elder who had his eyes opened. It was really interesting. It was during the candidating when I came down to Baton Rouge. And uh, the first visit, they asked me about discipling and counseling. And, you know, my eyes have been opened a year earlier. So I was telling about the ministry of uh, Exchange Life and Charles Solomon and Bill Gillum. Well, the next time I came down, this one elder just smiled at me the whole time. We met for about two and a half hours, but he never asked a question. Uh, he never entered into the dialogue. He just smiled at me. And I kept looking at him and I'm going, there's something wrong with that man. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, he instantly beelined toward me. And I went, uh-oh, here it comes. And he said, I got it. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I got it. I said, what? And he said, the cross. I've been crucified, buried, and resurrected. And I went, what? He said, I went out and bought the books, man. So I was like, great, I've got an ally. And so I kind of took that as a, uh, uh, a fleece, you know, like Gideon. Yes. I'm supposed to come down to Baton Rouge. Well, I wasn't here one year and that boy moved away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what That's happened right. is um, other elders began to have their eyes opened. And so pretty soon we had a, a mixed board. And so I had support and we needed that support because legalism does not go away very easily. And, you know, John, it's my understanding. You and I are going to talk about how to bring this into the church next time. So I won't say too much about that, but it was wonderful to finally have allies and uh, continue to move this message of the living Christ in us forward in spite of opposition. All right, here is the question of all questions. If we were to invite Janet into this conversation right now <laughs> and ask her to flip back through her mental Rolodex, oh, I just realized no one uses a Rolodex anymore. I am so old. <laughs> Stored in the computer. <laughs> if you flip back through your mental Rolodex, mm -hmm. uh, tell us, what was the most dramatic change you saw in Frank mm. after he came to know Christ's life? So she's not here. I'll in turn ask you, what do you think was the biggest change in how you related to your spouse? She would point out two things because we have talked about this. Uh, one is that I began to rest. When you have an inferior self-image, but you're like in the role of a pastor and you have to project that you've got it all together, uh, you become very driven. And so I was very, very driven. Um, I would seek to study so hard so that I could be right, so that I didn't have to be wrong because if I was wrong, then I confirm that I'm defective, <laughs> which was my yes. belief system. That's right. And so the ability to rest, which also then was extended to her and to the kids to let them rest. And that was one. The other 
would be rage. Um, when you grow up in a physically and emotionally abusive home, one of the, and then you know all the other junk that happens in a fallen world, you're very prone to anger. Anger is a tremendous self-defense tool. Uh, it really keeps people at bay. And uh, so we would, she would say to you that I was probably a nine on a scale of 10 in terms of the anger scale. Mm. Now, I, with all my heart, I labored so hard to not ever let that come out on the kids or on her, but it would come out on, on others and sometimes to her. Uh, we had this conversation about a month ago and I said, baby, I think I'm a three or a four now on that scale. And she said, no, you're a six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you just love their candid, loving responses? I said, okay, but I'm no longer a nine. That's right. <laughs> so those are probably the two biggest things she would point to. And, and I would say, I'm working on it, you know, well, because the Holy it, Spirit is working on it in us, too. Yeah. Holy Spirit plus truth plus time. That's right. And uh, in my identity, I'm a zero on that rage scale. But uh, in the flesh, that's a that's a process. You know, it's <laughs> a it's a command that we are to set our mind on things above. And sometimes you just have to. Just suck it up and choose to believe what's true about you, no matter how you might feel or embarrassingly what you might have just done. Set your mind on what's true. Yeah. You know, can I add one thought? Sure. That, John, um, what really I, one thing that is really, uh, I don't know the right word, uh, been, so much more easily displayed in my life uh, since coming to understand the new covenant is where I used to hide from being wrong, find it hard to admit that I would have been wrong. It's so much easier now to say I was wrong uh, because I think part of this glorious journey is refuting the lie that I shall be as God which is perfect, and then embracing the truth that I'm human, which means I'm, I'm very weak, designed that way by God. And when I take my eyes off him, I'm, I'm going to fail. And so it's so much easier to say, oh, please forgive me, I was wrong. And it, it, it's really nice to have that, be, that freedom to, to just be a man. You know, yes, 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 I do. You know, and for our listeners, we were not created to be God wannabes, but we picked up that skill in the garden, Genesis chapter three. And one of the greatest freedoms that God gives us is the freedom to choose to say no, thank you to becoming a God wannabe or acting like a God wannabe. You can just rest and fail and trust him uh, to make all things new, which is what he promised to do. Frank, we've got a few more minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a couple more questions. Okay. Your anticipations for the future, 
as you journey with the Holy Spirit. I know I've just turned the retirement quarter. Uh, you've got yours in sight. Um, what are you thinking for the future? I know we're working on our resolute hope, but is there something beyond that, a personal mm. spiritual goal that you have? Hmm. Yes. Um, I, I, in my heart, I shared this with a group of people the other night, my agenda, my personal agenda for me personally, John, and I mean this from the depths of my heart, I want to become the safest man on the planet to the people who come into my life. Wow. Um, you know, nobody was ever afraid to go into Jesus' presence, not even his enemies. I, I want to try to be that safe person because only when people feel safe are they going to be honest? And it's only when they're honest that we'll begin an intimate relationship. And in the intimate relationship, there'll be a, a power, you know, because we'll fulfill Ecclesiastes 4, that two are better than one. So that's maybe my personal agenda. Uh, beyond that, more in the occupational, of course, I won't be retiring, but I will be leaving the pastorate. And I would put it this way, John. I've been so busy doing church work that I haven't been able to fulfill the dream of my heart, which is to write more. Um, when you have a person in your office, you influence one person. When you write, uh, you can influence hundreds. And then as they are influenced, they become influencers. And so there's this ripple effect. And so I wanna, I wanna do that. Uh, and I know you're working on this with me. We've got a lot of projects in the loop and uh, that's what I wanna do. I want, I want to leave a legacy that's not just a life, but a written word about the life, uh, Jesus, so that men can find him through perhaps for decades or even centuries, if the Lord doesn't come back for a while. All right. Here's the last question, my friend. I need you to give your elevator speech. And by elevator speech, I mean this. You're working for a company and you hop in the elevator with the CEO and you've got 30 seconds to explain the most important thing that you do for that company. I wanna turn that around right now and ask you to give me your elevator speech. What is the supreme revelation you would want others to know? If they know nothing else about you, what would that single supreme revelation be? Mm. Remember, you got 30 seconds. Okay. That, um... I want to help people see Jesus as a reality. I don't believe they will accomplish that until they see him as a necessity. So I want to manifest that in my own life, that I have to make the choice either to run on my battery power with my resources or to trust him as I plug into him to provide me with all that he is to whatever I need in such a genuine way 
that people can look at me and say, I see Jesus in that man. That's, that's the best I can do in 30 wow. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What an inspiration. Thank you, my friend. Well, listeners, it's been a great time yet again today. Thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check us out on our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Follow us on our social media platforms. Remember, next time we get together, Frank and I will begin to talk about how we were learning the message of Christ's life at the same time trying to introduce it into a local church that had no clue about what that was. So until then, walk close and remember, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.